This is Season 1, Episode 14, the season finale of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Our episode tonight, Personal Growth Journey, or I'm Getting Better... Welcome to Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast. Like I said, it's about upping your game, advice, ideas, cool stuff found, opinions, you know, stuff like that. Um, You've got Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you'll find information about the show at masteringtherpg.com. And you can send us email, feedback, or just ask us to adjudicate a question. Um, That's gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Again, gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Uh, so this is, as I said, the season finale. So, hey, gentlemen, good to see you. Good to hear you. How are you doing, Fancy. James? How are you doing? I am going great, careening my way towards Christmas and getting things all organized, finalizing some campaigns at the moment. It's a busy time and enjoying every second of it. How about you, Eric? What you up to? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, as far as gaming, not much. I'm, I'm gearing up for maybe some new games. We'll see. Uh, it's diminished. Just, just quick aside. What was that accent you were doing, Carl? Was that <laughs> what accent were you going for there? It was very unique. Oh, uh, that was uh, that was supposed to be from Monty Python when a guy's on the uh, cart. Like, yeah, I'm okay. getting better. I'm yeah, getting got better. Okay. Yeah. yeah, got it, got it, got it, got it. It's a little season I've finale got... raz there. A little season finale raz. <laughs> I've dragged myself away from the miniature painting table. Can you believe it? I'm, I'm painting miniature gargoyles for an epic end of campaign battle on Friday. Um, I'm actually playing, so my DM oh. said we need gargoyles. So who knows what <laughs> I'm doing? So I'm painting stonework at the moment, which is a bit of fun. 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 I haven't painted yeah. minis in a while. It's been good. I do not paint minis, so you're uh, three times farther ahead than I am. So <laughs> I have painted minis. I have not painted minis in a long time, though. So I guess we have three different levels of experience if we ever talk about it on an episode. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one you guys will have to do uh, as a duo because I'll be going, uh, Durka, Durka, I don't know anything about painting minis. <laughs> I, I painted and crafted and did all sorts of tiles and terrain and everything. And then, of course, pandemic hits and you're stuck inside and no one needs them. So... I now have a ridiculous collection of miniatures sitting in boxes unused. Uh, So it'll be good to get out and play in person again a bit, I think. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, Mm. Personally, I'm still just, we're still spinning up on the the, uh, science fiction planet hopping game. (laughs) We got got the team to the planet and then they're roaming around the planet, but we haven't been able to even finish the planet because we've had some (laughs) folks out for a game or two and hopefully we'll... We'll get through that is coming up. And then we've got the holidays. Um, and we're just so everybody knows, we will be uh, jumping, skipping an episode. So the next episode would come out the 17th of January, 2023, 2023. Um, and so that uh, look forward to then. Um, so, you know, what we were talking about tonight or so what we were kind of chatting about the other day was talking about for the season finale of this first season, kind of our personal growth, you know, things we've learned, um, cool stuff we saw in the past, and just a, kind of a general conversation around that and what helped us become better um, game masters, better players. And so I'll, I'll take us through the topic tonight if everybody's okay with that. Um, you can Absolutely. yell if you're not. <laughs> you have the floor, sir. Our objection. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. <laughs> Um, object your objection okay (laughs) sustained all right go ahead (laughs) um so first thing though is i wanted to go into wayback machine a little bit and ask everybody kind of we talk in the show about cool stuff found and it's always modern cool stuff found what about something in the past or or some things from the past that were cool stuff that you found and it's still relevant today or still interesting today or, or maybe not at all. Who knows? Um, James, how about you? What cool stuff from the past do yeah, you have? It's interesting. I've, I used to have an enormous collection of role-playing games and bits and pieces. I collected it avidly and, and lugged these ridiculous chests of very heavy books around the country. Um, wherever I'd move cities, I'd take these things with me. And then about 
15 years ago, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore and donated all of my gear to another guy who, who was an avid player. Oh. I just have children and I decided I was going to give it a break. <laughs> no. And so I, I literally gave away the 25 years of role-playing books, which was uh, in hindsight wasn't great. And so when, when this came up and it was like cool stuff from the past, I thought, hmm, what do I have? What did I actually keep that I would not part ways with at that time? And so I, I, I went into my shed, I opened up my box of cool stuff that things that I would not part with. And I found two really cool gems, I think, that that I, I absolutely adore. The first one was the original Keep on the Borderlands adventure for Dungeons and & Dragons, and that was first edition. Um, this was the first D&D module I ever ran, and I've still got the original version of that exact module. So I was 10, so it's, it's a long time ago now. But cool stuff refound within a box is my original version of Keep on the Borderlands with my 10-year-old handwriting in the margins about how I was going to run that adventure. Um, and I was a malicious little shit is all I can say from reading my own little uh, handwritten margins where there's a gelatinous cube and I and I listed the character I was going to kill with that cube. It was like, you must kill Harry with this cube in 10-year-old handwriting. And so apparently there was a kid called Harry that he played D&D with me 10 years ago and I apologise if I ate you with a gelatinous cube. And I thought that was hilarious finding that. And the other thing Harry, I found, Harry has I, never played a game again. Harry never played DD again. That's right. Um, the other thing I found was uh, an original set of monstrous, monstrous compendiums. This was kind of the after the original monster manual in second edition Dungeons and Dragons. They brought out these monstrous compendiums, which were uh, um, loose cap binders that had little sheets that you could you could place in them. And I've still got my original set of those. So it's funny the way that monster manuals have changed over time. A lot of the information on those I, I actually still check out um, because it's got a lot of the ecology and, and history and background of different yeah. monsters because back in the day they used to provide more real estate in monster books to write that stuff down. So I've, I still find that the original second edition monster manuals, the monstrous compendiums, um, I, I refer to all the time to get some more information on, which is interesting because for my players who have grown up on 5th edition D&D, there'll be some detail there that they just would never get otherwise. So I find them really, really great. So check out old monster manuals if you are in if you find them in the second-hand store because I still use mine. There's my old stuff that is still cool stuff found. Carl, how about you? Oh, thank you for asking. I, I Now, I did not give away all my stuff. Um, I have, if anybody watched the YouTube channel, Tabletop Tango, you'll see in the back my bookshelf's full of old games that I probably should have donated at some point in time. But there's a few things that I, I found that sort of uh, I thought were pretty cool. Now, when you mentioned Keep on the Borderlands, that actually triggered me to say, I want to change one of my answers to Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. I don't know if you remember oh, that, wow. that module. Oh, yeah. That, that one, the reason it suddenly reminded me is that I love that module so much, um, that science fiction-y, that module that I added like three floors to that spaceship and brand new monsters and a whole sports system just because I didn't want the module to end. So, um, so that was like the coolest thing I, my little brain ever saw. Um, the other thing that I was looking at my shelf and I found was uh, – there's a couple of silver anniversary things that uh, TSR put out on their 25-year anniversary. One was a was a box that had a bunch of reprints of old modules and the original um, uh, the original book for D and D. But they also published a CD-ROM that had all 100 all at the time 250 issues of Dragon magazine. Now I put that on my computer now because who got CD-ROMs anymore? But what a great yeah. Just having all those PDFs to kind of go through, oh, it, I still use it. It's still cool because it's still on my PC and I still go through all those PDFs. Um, and then I got one final one because I, I love going through my shelf on occasion. The last one is The Fiend's Folio. That was the yes. that book I loved because all the creatures in it seemed like the weirdest things that somebody could come up with. And I think that probably was the purpose, but it's like, here's the monster manual, and here's this thing called a Fiend's Folio that's got all sorts of strange stuff in it compared to, well, I mean, Monster Manual had strange stuff too, but um, it was just so cool. So I, I really, uh, I'd say if those were the three things that really uh, jumped out to me, I thank you for talking about a module, because Expedition to Barrier Peak is was one of those things that just transformed my thinking of 
you know, D&D versus, you know, fantasy versus, and it had such great pictures. It was just fantastic as far as the module goes. Eric, how about you? What, what do, you, do you have any things <laughs> from your past that, that make Not you Not really. Excited? I mean, I, I, you know, I'm younger than you guys, and I didn't start tabletop gaming uh, until much later in my life. The only, the only thing that I would say kind of applies here in cool stuff, I mean, I do have some old board games. Nice. Um, like I have Hero, Hero Quest, um, oh, and I have yeah. some other, like, Oh, oh, older board games and the one thing that i would say is might be a cool stuff that applies to this is that if you you can find these old board games weird board games especially fantasy games and they have like even if you don't want to play them they have kind of like cool retro components in them like little minifigs or figurines or tile sets so you can actually get if you're for, if you're a gm you can actually get like a lot of cool you know retro cool stuff from these old board games that you maybe find at like um, what's it called? Like the Goodwill or something, right? Or like other thrift stores. You can just find all these weird games. Like I have this old Dungeons and Dragons game. It's from like, I think it's from like, I don't know where it is right now. It's in my storage um, area, but it's like from that early nineties or something like that. And it has like really old, you know, cool stuff in it too. So that's my only thing I would say is, um, that's a good untapped resource. <laughs> maybe. No, that's brilliant. Uh, if you're looking that's for brilliant. components. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of and, and modern games, games like too. that, that had, that had really good figurines that came with it that were pieces that you could, definitely yeah. take advantage of for sure for sure and there's for some our, new ones like that like uh, i think it's called grit uh, i forget what it's called like grim haven or grim hollow i can't remember what it, i kickstarted it and it has like a ton of tile sets so so when i've dm'd in person before i've always used like board game pieces for um yep. for free maps and stuff like that i've been known to buy secondhand board games on online oh, just to, there you go. to pull it <laughs> to pull them apart just yeah. since got some great minis yeah you can just Exactly. I just, yeah. I just throw out everything except the, the, the miniatures. That's yeah. That's what you're gonna use. You know, yeah. A lot of those old games aren't good. I mean, they're not they're not good games, especially by modern standards. So yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's that is a lot of good stuff, actually. Um, so let's talk a little bit about now our journey. Right, the episode is our journey. So, um, you know, looking at the beginning, uh, did, think about. I, and I was thinking about this, you know, myself is what were you screwing up. What, what were you doing wrong at the beginning of your gaming career that kind of sticks out as um, just just something that you would look back at that now and go, oh, man, was I just I just was not doing it right. <laughs> Even though there's no no every everything's right as long as you're having fun. But you're still looking and going, man, that was completely off. Uh, Eric, what about you? What do you do anything you look back at like that? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a couple stuff. I, I mean, I almost t talk about it like it's my instead of my hero's journey, it's my unhero's journey, kind of. Because um, as a player, at least, I think the things that I maybe mess up at first was for one, and these are all kind of things we've talked about. So my backstory were not on point either. You know, one point either too short, um, no added GM what? hooks. Or <laughs> too short. Were too, hold on, hold on. Hey, I'm not the longest. One. Or then too long. And, you know, kind of what we talked about of being the hero before you've even started or mm -hmm. too long and it's unwieldy for you or the GM to kind of reference. Um, so I think backstory balance was a big issue. Um, kind of uh, just tropes in general, like just which is which are totally fine and they have a good place. But I think as you play more like playing kind of different things and maybe you like or used to um or that are not normal like the kind of normal tropes like you know being there's nothing that you don't necessarily oh it's not the horrible thing to be an orphan but <laughs> for james it is uh but you know that's an easy thing that you might that a lot of first players start doing so just like getting into tropes and not being afraid to uh, being afraid to fail kind of like not kind of embracing failure um when it's appropriate mm. maybe even reveling in it when you do it like to really double down when you fail on something to kind of make a more epic, interesting moment that kind of shakes things up. Um, I think those are my main things as a player. For a GM, um, I think the main things that I maybe best up are, uh, which we've talked about again, are uh, not having outs for things. So like if, if, if there was a situation where it was kind of a puzzle or they had to figure out something and there was kind of just like one way and, you know, it, it, I almost think of it like adventure games where when you play those adventure games, you know, and like there, there's... It's, it's not really figuring out what to do in the situation. It's, it's figuring out what the game designers were thinking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, it's the same thing with, with this. It's like, I maybe, for me, I'm like, oh, if the players do this and this, it totally makes sense and they'll figure it out. But the players are going to do something totally different often. So not having an easy out for something, even, even if you make something complex or having kind of a couple different, you know, outs 
Um, you don't want to put yourself in the corner. I think that was my big thing. And then again, another just cliche thing as a GM is too many details for some things that you don't need to do. You don't need to write a huge backstory on the one character because that might not ever come up or, you know, going too deep on the lore of the worlds when you need to kind of flesh out the local area. And again, we've talked about it. So I think those are the main things I would say are things that I maybe quote unquote screwed up. Yeah, I think I've got one of those that are very similar for me as well. Um, my journey's been very interesting in that I started very young. So I started DMing when I was nine. Um, so that's 39 years ago, which is quite a long time <laughs> which ago. Which is my age. Um, that's my age, and, yeah. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so for me, it's interesting, isn't it? Because things that I messed up, I messed up as a nine-year-old. So I guess I'm going to take – I'll take a few of these things. Um Absolutely, the law was an issue for me in my teens. So I, I found a notebook where I created my world for the first time, and it is absurd. It's got maps of every city. It's got every single religion. It's got a history that goes for 38 pages. It is dumb, and I don't actually remember any sessions I ever ran in that world. I think I just spent many hours of my life in teenagehood just creating a, a notebook that never ever got used so I think that's kind of that's a, a trap that people fall into when I was when I was young I I succumbed to and I and I'm glad that you said Carl that you know if as long as everyone's having a good time you're not doing it badly because I think when I was playing as a child and, and in, in teenage years we had a great time but I made a hell of a lot of mistakes overpowering my guys so that they all had every cool magical oh. item in the book. Yeah. We would Mine we would all. just because we could, we'd make level twenty characters and cruise them through dungeons. We would do all so much overpowered shit just because it was fun. But we had an absolute ball doing it. And so I don't know if it's doing it wrong or whether it's just doing it as you do as your group. I think once the group the group's happy doing it, then that's great. I think later on, as I got in, you know, as I got older, particularly in my twenties and, and into, into college games, I think that's when you start to to realise um, the potential of what you can do with role playing games and how you can do them well. How you can write engaging plots and engaging stories and engaging characters. And I and I would say probably the biggest sin that I did in my twenties in terms of running role playing games was, and this was before we really thought much about this stuff, was about adult content and about lines and veils and consent mm -hmm. and bits and pieces like that. I played a lot of Vampire the Masquerade and <laughs> Werewolf the Apocalypse and Wraith and Mage and Demon and all these kind of games in my 20s. And looking back on that now, it's pretty cringy about some of the content that, that, I was, that we were role-playing and some of the content that we were doing in our, in our 20s and why that probably isn't appropriate nowadays, if you know what I mean. So I think a lot of where I've come along in my journeys um, has been more about um, being sensitive to other people's uh, experiences and and creating a, a good shared space where people are comfortable about the content. I think I I heard in my twenties of a very challenging adult um, related content that that probably isn't appropriate these days. I think that's probably the biggest one for me in my twenties. Cool, excellent. Uh, for myself, uh, I started also very young. Um, I was, I think, junior high when this little game somebody introduced me to and um, I was like wow this is amazing and even had a problem where I never quite understood the difference between D&D &D and AD&D &D. I just kind of mixed and matched them and it just seemed like okay well it's, it's all the same thing right we don't we don't care <laughs> um, but my, one, of my, one of my biggest things is I never thought much about story or or adventure structure or how things are put together from a narrative so I would literally mm. have my little mind would put together dungeon after dungeon that had absolutely no rhyme or reason um you know so one room you could have uh, a bunch of uh goblins running around trying to protect their lair and in the next room over you'd have a dragon or something it, it just was like insane how 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 they just did not make sense and that made sense to me i thought that was the coolest thing ever just go through the monster manual and pull out monsters and put them in dungeons and it took me a little while to start understanding you know how the game could be a narrative um uh, in a bring a story and, and a shared uh, story to life um, because we did do a lot of dungeon crawling and that was sort of the get in, steal the loot, take it out. And, and at the time I also made a lot of assumptions as what the players wanted. And now, um, you know, even Eric in the last one, we, we talked about what do people want to play? What kind of game are they looking for and, and what are they hoping to get out of it versus, oh, well, I made my latest dungeon that does some crazy stuff. 
do you let's just go in it and plop it down in the middle of some town somewhere where or out outside of a town somewhere and just there you go um you know <laughs> kind of like some of the old modules you know the gygax modules it's just like they just drop them somewhere and it's a yeah it's a tough slog to get through and and i did that a lot and um but i i think i also james i agree with you as we got older we started understanding um you know, the, the the power of these games, and that's where lines and bales come in because they are such a powerful um, tool that could be, that could just go sideways, absolute sideways. Now, I never did um, Vampire or anything like that, so um, I, I can't, we were still D&D back when I was in college, and that was all we did was D&D and D&D, except for the occasional top secret, which was a lot of fun to get out of the D&D space and be super secret spies and that sort of thing. Um, so cool. Um, anything else that, uh, you guys were thinking about in the beginning or. Nope. So that leads me though to, so we talked a little bit about those lessons learned. Um, but it's really interesting to me as if there was ever this, I don't know what I call it an aha moment. It's just kind of, you had an epiphany. And something just clicked and it, it changed the way you gamed or game mastered or or just thought about the game. So Eric, what about what about you on that? Um uh yeah, I, I guess so. Several things. I mean, for a player, I think I mean kind of similar to what I was talking about before about, you know, changing up from tropes, but um like as a player making a player subverting expectations and and kind of getting like and how flaws we again we've talked about this but how flaws can really bring out a character um in a different way um i think that was kind of you know once i really kind of thought about characters that way or flaws first or um it it definitely fleshed them out more um and then for both players and gms a big one for me was just reflavoring i know that sounds stupid like oh reflavoring but i think a lot of people maybe don't or i didn't at first about how powerful reflavoring can be uh, for a player when you reflavor things like it can feel fresh like even if you're playing the same class say in D&D just by reflavoring you can really make the experience feel different and new in a way um, mm. which is a hard, you know if you play a lot of games that that can be a challenge so keeping it interesting just by reflavoring can do a lot and for a GM it's a big just like easy tool that you can use as far as reflavoring monsters like we've talked about or reflavoring uh you know um reflavoring combats that maybe you had that didn't get used so i think reflavoring is such an important tool for both the gm and the player uh that that kind of functions differently um and i just spaced out i had another one so maybe come back to me (laughs) and then and 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 we talking more as a gm or do you want to continue on as player Uh aha Well, I was saying both. I can't remember. So was, yeah, both, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I think my, my uh, I talk about Vampire the Mas- Masquerade a bit and the World of Darkness games, but my big aha moment was absolutely that system or, or, or that style of gaming that happened in the 90s. I'd been playing similar Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, um, dungeon crawling, very two-dimensional characters up until the the explosion of World of Darkness where, where we were playing. And the aha moment for me was all about creating the character-centric story. So as opposed to featureless, two-dimensional, I've, I'm a fighter with a sword and a shield and we'll just, we'll just go room after room after room, killing monsters, getting treasure, gaining experience, rinse, repeat, with no real plots um, associated with the game. When Vampire the Masquerade emerged which was very, very plot-centric and very character-centric in terms of how to put the story together. They had these fantastic things where they would suggest that every game needs to have a theme and a mood. For me, that was a major aha moment where I moved from effectively what was a pseudo board game with some fun chats around the table to trying to create almost a cinematic um, style of running role-playing games. And when I started to delve into that with good, well-featured uh, NPC characters, with good drama, with good plot, with good mood, the response was enormous from my players. 
um, I think the popularity in what 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 I was doing just exploded. You know, um, it, it was the time as well. It was the kind of the nineties. I was young. There was lots of people playing around in college and that kind of thing. But in terms of a type of game that was more accessible to everyone, to particularly women, because up until then, you know, it had been a bit of a boys' own club playing D and D. Suddenly, women were really interested in these multifaceted, character-driven plot-driven stories and so um you know we had these fantastic games for years and years and years and i think that was the biggest aha for me changing from that 2d to the 3d story to the cinematic experience that was um and hopefully i've done it justice ever since and it's certainly i've brought it i've brought dnd into that realm now and that is absolutely where the trend is now in terms of um where people are looking to play which so i found that to be the most important thing that i guess i discovered along the way Interesting. Yeah, just just real quick, I, it, that was similar in vain. What I was thinking, it was just how um, how much narrative can um, even if you're in a combat heavy game, how much having some type of narrative, having some type of emotional connection with NPCs or with the characters' backstories can really up the uh, weight of a combat or of other things that you're doing, and, and so they really marry well together. And of course, I was always role playing, and I didn't GM that much. But when I first started, it was maybe you know if I'm even running a one shot, it was like a combat one shot. But when you when you yeah. really when you really kind of double down and thought of ways to get the players emotionally connected, you know the same combat, one without anything, and one maybe where you even spent 15 minutes around the you know exploration part, kind of setting up some type of narrative or NPC that they can connect to, it will make the combat's that much more um, interesting and immersive. So yeah, that's that, that was my last aha moment when I. Uh, it's not that's not that much of a re- revelation, but it was still it was something. But but it was a revelation <laughs> to you, and that that's the important yeah. part, right? Is is this is a journey that everybody takes, and they start in a certain certain way, and at some point they have an epiphany, and it changes the the way for they sure. play. Um, hopefully for the better. Uh, you never know. Um, so for myself, I think I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit was a lot of kind of uh, modules, standalone module type dungeon delve had a purpose. There was a reason, you know, go go kill the evil wizard in his tower. But it, it, it didn't have that, um, I don't know, theme, that overall story arc. And I, and I really didn't think a lot about it at, in the early days, right? Um, and I think this goes back to what you were saying, two-dimensional characters, they weren't, you know, they were just, they were a means to the end. They weren't really um, that important who they are or what they were, because again, fighters were kind of the same and you really had to theme them through your own, I don't know, um, your own way you played them or, you know, your swashbuckler technically is the same as someone else's yeah. fighter, but it, yeah. mine's a swashbuckler and makes a difference. My fight is different. I have a trident. That's, yeah, my, that's the difference that's right. of my fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a glaive or whatever it's called. So, <laughs> um, But Dragonlance changed that. So the, 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 <laughs> the epiphany moment was when Dragonlance existed. And so I was like completely enamored with the books. I read them cover to cover fast. As, you know, I just digested them. And they're based on a set of modules, which most people know that um, – uh, oh my God! Some of the names just went out of my the the Hickmans wrote Hickman. Um, yep. And they they were I don't know it was like fifteen of them, but they represented that entire story arc of the books in this in this set of modules. And and really? even to a lesser extent, you could think of Ravenloft had that same thing, right? There was very much this, this yep. theme that um, overall arc that the players were going through and they were growing as characters uh, and, you know, being a GM at the time. And I didn't have all the Dragonlance modules because I didn't have that kind of money, but I had a couple of them and it was like, wow, this is, this is cool. And that's where it led me to now where I just come up with a theme or some thought that I want to explore like the digital dark age. Now we've built something out around that to explore that topic and have an arc that, a narrative arc that the players can, of course, create and change, but there's that nugget that, that start off with. Um, and then kind of another thing that I think was more for my, um, what I did at conventions was the concept of the scenes versus locations. So dungeons are all location-based, right? And so you're walking room to room to room versus there's something that happens that you interact with the environment or you're interacting with somebody and 
this is more of a scene that you're role playing in that could have combat, but it's you're role playing as part of the scene that moves the story forward. Um, and I like that a lot better than just raw locations, but obviously raw locations are an incredibly important thing to have because that's where the set pieces come in and, and things like that. But Dragonlance, man, that just changed the way I thought of the game um, <laughs> practically overnight. I, one of my uh, oops probably didn't do this too well and screwed up was that Dragonlance campaign. When it came out, of course, it, it was came out at the same time as the books, the Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman books, and they were kind of released at the same time. And I remember berating my players because they weren't playing their characters right in the, in the role-playing <laughs> game because in the book on page oh 72 it says that you must do it this way. So, yeah, I, 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 I probably didn't play Dragonlance so, as well as I could have. So the Dragonlance modules, they were like you played as Rastelin or whatever his name was? Like you yeah. played as those characters and it was you like played the as same. all the characters. That is yeah. bizarre. I mean, that is just like they nobody does that. I mean, it's never no, been done, no. right? After that and – what a crazy thing. Oh, my God. Okay. And at the back of each of the modules, the, the characters would yeah. level up, of course. So you'd get your new character sheet at the back of each module as you as you went to the next chapter. And it was effectively the same as the books, but with, you know, with a whole dungeon as opposed to just the path that the, the characters took. It was weird. It was cool. But I yelled at my players a lot for doing it wrong. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember um, having a problem with people like – going off the rails I, I guess it was like well, that was the whole fun I was like what happened what happened if uh the kender hadn't done this thing the way that he's supposed to do this thing oh wow this is just completely different and interesting and i guess yeah. again the narrative control the players had i learned something valuable um valuable lesson uh, through those through those games or through those modules so um well i still i and back then i really loved dragon i've got like probably 15 Dragonlance supplements or books written by TSR and well, like, I got the new 5e. Of that stuff. I mean, the new 5e version's out. Yeah, they got the new version with, out. <laughs> with, with the board game that's terrible, you'll love it. Oh yeah, that's so <laughs> again with Dragonlance doing these weird experimental. You know, did you hear about this, Carl? Where you they they came out with the board game that you can instead of doing a battle like in a normal D and D way, you go to this board game and play the battle in the board game version. Isn't that it's like so bizarre. Weird. What a weird gimmick. <laughs> it, it didn't work everybody for... Everybody was like, no. It didn't everybody work was for like, Car we're Wars. not doing this. It didn't work for Car Wars. Why would it work for <laughs> Dragonlance? <laughs> I, I, I will let you know. I've bought it for my nephews for Christmas. So we'll sit down and we'll we'll have a go. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll see I mean, it, it might be good just to play it separately, but to play it in lieu of, uh, you know, a, like a normal yeah. combat seems... But that might become a cool so thing found after you play it. You may go, this is the coolest thing I've ever found. I've got a... <laughs> None of the YouTubers would agree with you, but you'll say you might say, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm not getting my hopes up." But yeah, it could very well be. We'll see. It'll be a, it'll be a waste of a few great hours anyway, which is nice. Good. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I'll be buying the Five E Dragonland stuff. I have so much on my shelf, and um, I just I just redid a one of my uh, modules for a convention that's based on Dragonlance, and I did that using the old material, and then I changed it to savage worlds so i think i'll probably just stick with that yeah. <laughs> that yeah. methodology so <laughs> um so so those were the aha moments so we should just uh you know we've gone through 13 episodes we've gone through a lot of life lessons in our own regard why don't we talk about um you know some of the biggest things that you think a gm or a player or um you know, the, the should remember, and, and you're allowed to use previous answers. It's perfectly fine. No one's no, no one's going to get mad. <laughs> so um, let's start, James. How about you? Some some things that just everybody for should me, remember takeaways. For me, this is something that I have to remind myself of a lot, and this is this is probably the advice I give to anyone who is starting out being a, a games master as well. Your players are having a lot more fun than you think, I think is generally the, the line that I, I try and remind myself. Um, when you're running games and you're, you're, you're wound up in the plot and you're trying to get the detail correctly and often you're trying to describe things off the cuff and the words aren't necessarily coming and they're not necessarily flowing, just remember that this, these games are really, really, really fun. 
And most of the players that are playing there, most of the time, 99% of the time, are having an absolute ball, just standing around, sitting around a table, chucking dice at each other, making jokes with each other, having a good time socially with each other. And so um, I guess the big thing for me, the biggest thing that you should remember is that it's it's all going fine. Everyone's having a good time. By and large, 99.99% of the time, they're having a better time than you're probably thinking is yeah, kind that- of my big piece of advice. It's uh it's that's, all in your head. You know yeah, that's I mean? brilliant. That, that's brilliant. I, I I have players where I constantly think that they are hating what's going on and are so bored, yet they just keep coming back week after week after week. So for sure, for sure. And the tension around a table makes it difficult sometimes because, of course, you're, you're, pro, you're throwing complicated social and logistical and logical problems at your players and often the, the mental spaces that you get the mental blanks from, other, from across the table. Um, but, yeah, trust me, people like playing these games. They, they, enjoy, they enjoy it and they enjoy having a good time. That would be my single piece of advice. The second piece, I think, is, is in, in line with that, and that is... Try and be your players' fans as best as you can, the characters' fans. When you're going into this game, it's often, any of these games, it's very easy to find yourself in an oppositional frame of mind where you're trying to put up challenges, you're trying to thwart your players, you're trying to, um, you know, one-up them, better them in terms of combat tactics and bits and pieces like that. But um, in my mind, if you can be their heroes, if, 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 they're, if they're the heroes of the story and if you can... Be their biggest fans. I often find that makes for really, really fun games where you can enjoy their success and and really be part of that celebration when they are successful. I think if you can be the player characters' fans, you'll go a long way in terms of running games. And I, That's and probably I think, my two big biggest well, I, things that you should remember, really. And I think in the old school, a lot of people thought of the game master players being an adversarial relationship, right? They that's yeah. how some people it's, used to play, and it's it's still around. I, I I'll just say you right now, it is very much still around, and that's James. That's like huge. Sorry, Carl, I just wanted to inject that, but no, I'm no, you're totally talking. right because yeah. I, I was in a game with you where I was yeah. extremely frustrated <laughs> as a player because I felt the game master was arbitrary and he was just. I, I was doing cool stuff, and the cool stuff just fell flat because he didn't want me to do the cool stuff. So I, yeah, I, I totally. It still exists for sure, but it. It's not, I guess it's not what people consider the norm anymore, right? That's not what people want to see these days, I, I would think. So, yeah, um, I mean, just because it's also a broader audience now, too, and there's a lot of different voices and types and, and people have matured. I think that, that, it, that yeah, James, but that's almost like an episode, of, honestly, because I think that's so important what you're saying, because I, I know GMs, I've been in games where that is the thing where they think of themselves more opposite, uh, um, as more of opponents, and it's just not as good of a game. And when you're a GM, you can still think you can still be the fans, but you want these people to struggle and you want them to have real challenges. But it doesn't mean you can't revel in the, you know, and then set up their cool moments for whatever it is. I think that that is huge. I just wanted to throw on, in on that. Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. If, you, if, you're mind, if you're mindful of the, the players having a yeah. great time, you're mindful of the characters doing epic shit and you set up a way in which they can triumph in, in a difficult way, but in an epic yeah. way, everyone has a great time. And also, and I think- a, a big thing, big thing too. On top of that, James is if characters and sometimes players will take things like mechanical things or items that are more niche, maybe or uh, um, you know, um, subjective or uh, uh, situational. And a really, really, really cool thing to do as a GM is look at your player sheets. You know, if you see one of those. Set up that situation where they can use that in, in an epic yeah. way, and you will get a huge response from them. I mean, players taking that stuff and being rewarded for that is is gigantic. It doesn't have to be like they got a lot back from it, like actually, you know. But but them being them having those opportunities to take advantage of things they took that are like that, or if they didn't take the most optimal thing, maybe um, is gigantic, and you'll get a lot better response from players. So yeah. just, and I yeah. do that as a player. Yeah, I, I create characters that are interesting to me that have their theme and they're doing something because yeah and and it is frustrating when you do take a niche ability because it's the right concept for the character and and the game master thought it was fine and then it never gets used i totally agree with you Um, yeah so as a gm i think it's like look at your player sheets occasionally (laughs) that's probably the tip there right like occasionally look at the sheets and notice if they have something like that yeah so so for myself uh 
I, I guess I would think a little more, a couple of the ones that are kind of tactical, I would say, uh, more so than kind of uh, uh, holistic, uh, I don't know, metaphysical, whatever it is. Um, the first is, for me, is uh, as a game master, I'm in the problem department. I'm not in the solution department. So I, I think this plays <laughs> a little bit to what Eric, you said earlier, is I set up problems with the assumption that players are to come up with a unique solution that will work. I do not sit down and say, well, here's the five different things that could go right. And if you do this, it's going, nope. I, I, I set up the problem, right? I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the solution is going to be. That's the player's job. They're going to come up with solutions. Yep. And if they make sense and they could work, then yeah, wh- wh- why not? Right. I mean, like uh, I had a game where the players came against a motorcycle gang. Now, I could have easily just said, well, they have to fight them because this is game." No, they, they decided they would just give them the thing that they wanted, get away and then they come back later and steal it when they're in their camp sleeping. OK, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's do that. Let's run with that. That'll work. You know, it's, it's not like, well, no, you can't do that. And that leads into the the second thing, which is yes and versus and and no but versus no, um, and that's pretty classic yeah. talk, you know, from a game master standpoint. You know, yes and, yep, that can happen, and what happens after that, and the no but, yeah, okay, no, I'm going to say no to that, but there's another way of doing it, and that's uh, I think that comes from improv, right? Um, these concepts of yes and and no but um, versus just shutting down and saying no that. That's absolutely yeah. can't be done. Yeah. Because um, then you do get in that problem where it's like, can I do this? No. Uh, what if I try that? No. What if I try that? No. Well, remember, I'm not in the solution department. So when you say, what, what does this work? Uh, yeah, maybe it looks like that might work. So why not? Why don't we let that happen and, and go with it from there? Um, but I do agree yep. that, that the player advocacy, and that's what these lead to, these two concepts I brought up, are really exactly what James, you were talking about. They're being an advocate or a fan of the players, right? Letting them, they're succeeding with their own wits and you're not being adversarial to them by saying, well, how, how can I say no and, and stonewall them in every, every turn? Yeah. There's a cool little line that I've been using probably this year more than any, which is what are you hoping to achieve here? Um, because often you'll get a thousand questions from a player going, so uh, tell me, is the is the floor that they're standing on sturdy, or is it you know, or is it you know a little bit decrepit? Oh, uh, is he ten feet by the ledge, or is it, you know how big's the drop? We'll ask all these other little details questions, and then eventually you have to kind of ask, what is it you're trying to, what what is you hoping to do, and that way you get out of the no. No, on all these questions because you get a better sense of what what it is that they're they're planning and what it is that they're trying to achieve. And I I found that that the last year particularly, and it might be just because it's kids where they're trying to articulate it a little bit, um, they're having difficulty articulating it. I found that getting getting that out of the yes and no side helped as well. Yeah, and and if you can get them to say what they're trying to accomplish, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, you do that. You yeah. don't need a dice roll. Once yeah. you understand what they're trying to Just, do, it's like, no, no, that happens. Yeah, you can do that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, don't hint. I think that that's – I want to take a little bit different tack, but I think it goes to um, perception or understanding perspective. And this goes both ways. So um, – and I have a tip here too. But like as a GM, like we talked about, understanding maybe what what are the players – like what, what do they want and like what are they trying to do? Um, and like, what is there, like, like I said, if, if they took a cool ability, they're going to want to use that ability. And that's something that, you know, you could, as a GM, you can just forget about these things or you can forget about all their hooks. And it's not something that you have to obviously slave over, or, you know, notice all the time, but it is nice to notice these things or at least try to pay attention somewhat to maybe what the player is trying to do with their character or if you see them trying to do something. Um, and the same thing from a player's side is, you know, understanding the GM's perspective. Like, what are they trying to do? And, they, and, and understanding that the GMs have a lot on their plate. And so even if you want to do something, um, if you're not clear about it or, um, you know, sometimes you have to speak up to the GM or you have to kind of make it more overt. That, that this is what you want to do or this is what you want to be done or if you have concerns, bring it to them. So I think the tip here for me is that even if you're one of those, I'm a forever GM or I'm a forever player, I think one of the biggest advices I would give here is even if it's just for a one shot, you know, if you're a GM, play some games, just a little bit. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a player, 
Just try GMing. Just try GMing a couple one shots. And even if you don't want to really be a GM, it'll make your playing the game way better because you'll kind of understand that other perspective more. Um, and it will give you a better appreciation and then you can buy into the world better. And the same thing with the GM. Once you under kind of from the player's perspective, you get a better view of what how, how they interact with the GM. Because if you've been GMing today for 10 years straight, you know, you might kind of lose sight a little bit of what it's like to be a player. And so that will make your GMing better. So I think that's my first tip. And my other second one, this is kind of an aha moment. This is kind of going to this is uh, try different games, even if, again, if it's only for a one shot. Like if you just play 5e, which a lot of people now do, and I think there's a lot of fear with kind of branching out, you know, try a game of Monster Hearts, try a game of Call of Cthulhu, try a game of Savage Worlds, try a game of uh, uh, Mouse Mouse Guard. Um, whenever I've, you know, either as a GM or as a player, and I've seen this happen, uh, just playing a little bit of a different system, even if you're like, I mostly want to play 5e or just mostly want to play fantasy, again, will give you a really different perspective and it will really kind of show you different ways to either mechanically do things or different ways that you can interact with people or the narrative or each other. So I think that's the thing that I would, I would say is to be more flexible and try, you know, switch it up a little bit, just a little bit, try switching it up and you'll, you'll um, be amazed at kind of the results that, you can get. That's what's great about conventions, quite honestly, ah, yes. you get a, you get an opportunity to sign. I never go to a convention and sign up for games I've played before. Um, you know, well, uh, game master games I played before, obviously, but for as a player, I sign up for a lot of games, and it's like, well, I've never done Blades in the Dark. Um, uh, you know, let's try this Cortex system. You know, it's, yeah. it's always a good. That's always a <laughs> yeah. good opportunity to, um, to to w once again because be a player and learn what you like and don't like about game mastering, um, as well as learning a new system and and saying, wow, this really has a certain flavor to it. So, Eric, you're spot on with respect to that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's you learn so much more about different aspects of the games that you can then bring back in. In my case, you can bring back into 5e. You know, I've learned horror and pacing from Call of Cthulhu. I've learned narrative and character-driven from Vampire. You know, you, I've learned heists from from uh, Blades in the Dark. You can you you what you learn, you can bring back to your home system as well. So it's it's certainly not time wasted. There's, uh, there's plenty of great mechanics and themes and different moods of games out there for sure. Absolutely, Eric. Couldn't agree more. So do you have any uh, – so, James, do you have any other ideas from a player perspective um, that you – As you a think player, of? and I'm going to say in two days' time, my Hagen half-holder, my level 20 fighter ranger Ooh. will be having his last session. So I can say having played an ongoing campaign now for four years every single week, playing D&D, 5th edition, my advice is risk it all. Be epic when, when it comes to being a player. Um, I find that I've had far more fun. We have, we've just straight out enjoyed ourselves more when you risk it, when you, when you take the, the more difficult challenge, when you dump the conservative kind of self-protection mode and you just go for it. And that's go for it in an acting sense in terms of role-playing, a bit harder than you probably would have in the past. It's it's trying to go for the more difficult goal in terms of the game where you go, no, you know what, we are going to try and take down this boss instead of, you know, right now, and even though we're underprepared. Um, and buy in so hard because <laughs> you just get more fun. The more you risk, the more crazy schemes you come up with, the more fun you have. That's my advice having almost killed Hagen four times in one campaign. It's good fun. And that's interesting because, Eric, you buy into that for sure because I don't know how many yeah. times in the Cyberpunk game we were like, we're just going to go right. and check this place out and see what's going on. And then before you know it, they're they're in the building taking people on. <laughs> and it's like we're completely I, I could have been more risky with that character that, you know, dual whipping – uh, mono whips on a motorcycle at high speeds like you think i would have died but it just never happened but um, awesome. yeah a lot of risk and i think that's that's an interesting perspective james because even if you maybe don't have a character who's like that um you know and you have a character who's really w was really like independent and about self uh safety and stuff you can still as a player you know think about kind of and, and I think this will be an episode, maybe even the next episode, about your character progression a little bit. And, and you can, you can even as a player, you can set these things up for yourself by, like, if you want to make yourself, like, if you have a character who's a lone wolf, right? And which maybe there's a little too many of those. But even if you start with that lone wolf, you can make them more of a team player by kind of setting almost your own 
role-playing goals or role-playing milestones of kind of buying into it a certain way, like setting things up with certain characters to kind of bring yourself in that direction. So I think even, doesn't matter who you are, you can have those big swing for the fences moments um, if you've like built stuff in. And that's another thing for the players I would, I would say too, to remember is, um, you know, have things set up, like put the work in, and this can be anything like my character in James's game, where my character has literally ripped everything apart, has the biggest inventory he's ever seen, just because I know in the future, this is things where he's going to want to do is to build things. And I kind of have that banked. So it's like yeah. a little bit of forethought there with your character. Yeah. You know, they might die, but having that forethought and kind of working towards that, whatever it is, I think will you'll get more immersed in the game and you'll have more, um, a little bit more wiggle room and control as a player because you've kind of... You know, you have a bunch of hack shit. You have a bunch of uh, uh, weird fairy party shit or whatever up to my inventory. <laughs> wow, there, there's a good way to. That's a good way to end it. That's <laughs> is it. Okay. Yeah, have a bag of hack shit is the general yeah. rule of thumb. Well, on that note, <laughs> I think we've uh, we've talked a lot um, about our journey, which is fantastic. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for sharing at least this first season journey with me and I look forward to future seasons and we'll, uh, we'll come back to this after just a short couple of weeks off just to enjoy the holidays. And, uh, I think Eric's already defined the next topic. Um, <laughs> and he will, and he will be doing the, uh, the outline, the outline and everything for yeah. it this time. So. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first folks. I'm, so. I'm, what have I done? <laughs> Put your hand up, get the um, homework. That's yeah. the way it works. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. great. Well, hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, remember to drop by masteringtherpg.com and uh, make sure you contact us, uh, support us. Um, you know, send email to gamemaster at masteringtherpg.com. Um, if you've got questions, comments, feedback, um, you want Eric to adjudicate a problem you and your GM or players are having. He's all about that. You can also check us out on Twitter at MasteringDRPG. Um, so if you want to help us out uh, with the podcatcher of your choice, leave a great review. We'd love that. Um, and then uh, subscribe or follow or whatever it is, because uh, that would be awesome too. So once again, uh, great season one. Thank you, gentlemen, for being there with me on this one, this journey. And uh, I'll say thank you again for Carl, Eric, and James. So go ahead and say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys, and thanks, Carl. Thanks so much for this season. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really good having good in-depth chats about why we do what we do. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, uh, happy holidays, happy gaming. It's been great with you guys. I've learned a lot. Um, yeah, hope everybody has a fun and safe holidays. Mastering the RPG with Carl.